0: Hello and welcome to our podcast, Japanese Leadership Looking Back at the G7 Summit. I'm Fred Katayama, Executive Vice President at the U.S.-Japan Council. Well, at the G7, governments met to discuss what steps to take to produce clean energy and get to net zero on greenhouse gas emissions. Asian countries and those in the Global South are more vulnerable to global warming. That makes action on reducing carbon emissions ever more crucial. Japan, by contrast, has a resilient and sustainable energy system, although it still relies on importing energy from abroad. It's investing in battery storage, hydrogen power, and renewables. How can these pathways be shared with countries in the Asia-Pacific region? And how can Japan's leadership inspire more collaboration with the G7 member states? Well, joining me now to answer these questions is Tatsuya Tenazawa, he is chairman and ceo of the institute of energy economics japan and he joins me from tokyo tatsuya welcome and thanks for joining us
1: well thank you very much uh this is my great pleasure and honor to be able to participate in this podcast great to have you with us well tatsuya let's start our
0: discussion with a look at demand how does asia's energy demand differ
1: from that of the us and europe well they the biggest difference between asia and the U.S. or Europe, is that while the population in Europe or the U.S. is not growing that greatly, and the economy has matured, and these countries have already realized a very high level of living standards. But for Asian countries, their population is still growing uh, strongly, and their economy is growing even more strongly, and they are raising their living standards. So these three elements put together will lead to a very substantial growth in their demand for energy. In fact, uh, for the US or European countries, their energy demand will be declining uh, thanks to the energy efficiency measures. But we expect that as of 2050, the size of the economy of the ASEAN countries will be 3.9 times larger than what it is today. This is a very difficult challenge, and this makes uh, the energy transition in Asia much more challenging as well as complex. Let's look at development, which has been uneven across
0: Asia. Uh, For every rich country, there's a poor country that is unable to decarbonize as quickly. How do we make the energy transition
1: Inclusive for all. Well, you made a great point. Um, from outsiders, um, many of you may consider Asia as being monolithic. But there's no single Asia. Uh, there are so many differences among countries in terms of the level of development, as well as the uh, natural endowments of those countries. So rather than having a single pathway for the Asian countries for their energy transition, it is important to recognize those differences and the constraints that each country has, and to allow and recognize various pathways for energy transition among Asian countries uh, towards uh, realizing carbon neutrality. I think this is essential, and this is something that people outside of Asia would have to understand better.
0: Well, Tatsuya, you mentioned various pathways, so I'd like to follow up on that. Uh, Japan's prime minister certainly isn't sitting still. Uh, Fumio Kishida started the Asia Zero Emissions Community. And that initiative recognizes that the 11 member nations can each pursue practical pathways to clean energy. So, how does this initiative uh, encourage regional neighbors to collaborate on managing energy security?
1: Well, I, I think Prime Minister Kishida, as you said, is stressing that there should be various pathways to achieve our common goal of carbon neutrality. In fact, uh, this point was stressed in the uh, G7 Hiroshima communique. And uh, this message of various pathways was also endorsed uh, by the uh, G20 summit meeting in New Delhi. So it is important to recognize uh, the the various pathways uh, should uh, should be there Uh, for all the countries, but especially in the uh, the ASEAN countries. Uh, Prime Minister Kishida's uh, Asia Zero Mission Community, ASEC in short, um, provides uh, various means to address the various pathways. Uh, Compared with some uh, international institutions uh, which may be totally focused on deployment of renewable energies, Prime Minister Kishida's um, ASEC is much broader in addition to renewable energies it will support uh, the enhancement of energy efficiency it will also support the construction of grids it will also help uh, uh, the use of hydrogen and ammonia and also uh, biomass as well so this kind of various means available will be well-suited to support the various pathways which is particularly important for the uh, uh, Asian countries.
0: And wouldn't the allowance of various pathways push back the phase-out of
1: coal-fired plants? Well, to start with, each country, not just in Asia, but across the world, has different stages of development, and each country has very different constraints. So it is natural and logical that there should be various pathways. In terms of coal-fired power plants, uh, there's no question that the ASEAN countries will no longer be building new coal-fired power plants. So that is taken away. The second is that among uh, the coal-fired power plants, uh, there are a significant part of the coal-fired power plants, uh, even in Asia, which are older, and less efficient. And with the help from Asian Development Bank, ADB, and other institu- institutions, uh, the ASEAN countries would retire those old and inefficient coal-fired power plants. So there will be a decrease in the in the percentage of coal-fired power plants as a percentage of their energy supply. Uh, the remaining difficult challenge is the the new and very efficient uh, coal-fired power plants, which represent about 60% of the coal-fired power plants in those countries.
0: Let's turn now to hydrogen power. Japan certainly has been at the forefront uh, of hydrogen. It was the first in the world to adopt a national strategy on hydrogen. Do
1: you think the United States and Europe will adopt a similar strategy? We hear a lot from our US friends or European friends Uh, about their excitement and interest in hydrogen. So while Japan was the pioneer in highlighting the importance of hydrogen, now we are seeing other players, uh, European countries and also the US uh, pushing for hydrogen. There is still a difference between uh, uh, how far and how comprehensive Japan is pushing for hydrogen uh, compared with uh, European and our US uh, counterparts. One is that, since Japan is an island country, the transportation of hydrogen is a challenge. Um, and probably either liquefy it or transform hydrogen to ammonia to transport hydrogen is uh, the realistic means. Japan is leading the world in the transportation of hydrogen. Number two, uh, Japan is uh, developing technologies to use hydrogen ammonia for power generation. And third, for the uh, transportation sector, especially for heavy-duty uh, use like trucks or long-distance buses, uh, we believe that it will be more difficult to use batteries And uh, for those uh, long-distance or heavy-duty transportation. But in terms of the scope uh, or the comprehensivity of hydrogen policy uh, in Japan is leading the world, in how broad it is. Okay, let's shift
0: from hydrogen to another source of energy, nuclear. Uh, Japan has relied on nuclear power in the past, but public support fell sharply after that Fukushima nuclear disaster in 2011. But on the other hand, now with the uh, global energy crisis sparked by Russia's aggression towards Ukraine,
1: has that sentiment shifted? You're right, the public sentiment in Japan has shifted uh, drastically. Uh, right after the Fukushima nuclear accident uh, the public support for nuclear was very low but um, we have been enhancing uh, the safety uh, regulation um, and the uh, safety uh, uh, regulation. I'm safe. In the past uh, um, 12 years since the Fukushima nuclear accident we have been enhancing uh, the safety of nuclear power plants. And uh, we believe that the public have uh, improved uh, their acceptance of the safety of nuclear power plants. And with this basis, um, you're right, we have gone through the um, energy crisis, especially uh, triggered by uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and seeing all the increase in the energy uh, price, cost. Prime Minister Kishida uh, made it clear in his policy statement uh, last December that he will be pushing uh, for the restart of nuclear power plants, and also he would extend the operating lives of the existing nuclear power plants, and also uh, he said that he would explore uh, replacement of the old nuclear power plants with modern and advanced nuclear reactors. So we are now seeing a major uh, shift in our nuclear policy uh, towards uh, pushing for nuclear uh, policy, which have not been the case uh, in the years after the uh, Fukushima nuclear accident. So we are seeing a significant change in our nuclear policy.
0: Well, nuclear energy is considered clean energy, but it's not renewable. And I know Japan has had a, an issue in getting enough affordable renewable energy. Is nuclear power, in your view, still a viable option for
1: decarbonization? Uh, the importance of nuclear power plants is that it will deal with the uh, weakness of the renewable power. The weakness of renewable power, especially in Japan, we tend to use a solar power. During daytime, especially if you have fine weather, solar panels are great, but if you have a cloudy day or in nighttime, there's virtually no power generation. And the difficulty of the power system is that you always have to match the demand and supply, but we have to decarbonize that power as well. So in this regard, dispatcher power, a power that we can control with uh, zero carbon will be extremely important and nuclear will
0: provide that option. I wanna talk about other lessons too. Uh, With tensions now rising between the West with China and Russia, are there energy security lessons to be learned by Japan's decision to closely align itself with one superpower, that is the United States, uh, as opposed to hedging as some other
1: countries have done? Well, one of the uh, lessons we have learned from the recent energy crisis uh, triggered by Russia's invasion of Ukraine is that it is very important to have uh, the diversity, the resilience resilience of your energy supply. European countries were hit probably the worst by this energy crisis because uh, Europe had been dependent upon Russian energy. In particular, whereas in Japan, we were certainly affected by the rise in the energy cost. So this, once again, reminded us of the importance of diversification. As we understand uh, the importance of diversification, we have to think about the future energy as well. As we make the transition to clean energy technologies, such as solar panels, or wind, wind power generation, or batteries, or electric vehicles, so if we are to make this energy transition towards cleaner technologies, it is very important from what we learned from the current energy crisis, that it is absolutely necessary to diversify our supply sources and to make our supply chain of critical minerals much more resilient. So this is uh, that the policy uh, to enhance energy security that we'll be pursuing Uh, based on the lessons we've learned uh, from uh, the energy crisis of today. Okay, got it. So from Asia, there are lessons to be
0: learned from the benefits of being practical and and pragmatic, and from Japan, the benefits of diversifying uh, your sources of energy in the quest for resiliency, so you don't get all your eggs from one basket. Thanks a lot, Tatsuya. Learned a lot. My pleasure. I'm Fred Katayama. This is Japanese Leadership Looking Back at the G7 Summit. Thanks for joining us.